Welcome to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'll be your host, the Healthy Voyager, Carolyn Scott. Thanks for tuning in to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'm Carolyn Scott, a.k.a. The Healthy Voyager. Uh, how is your summer going so far? I know I can't hear you, but you should probably answer anyway. I'm loving the heat, and I'm looking forward to some outdoor shenanigans and maybe a few trips coming up here soon. We'll see. So today's show is going to focus on the other side of veganism, possibly the more prevalent side, or at least the more well-known side, doing it for the animals. Most of you know that my main platform has always been health, and it's why I became vegan. I studied holistic nutrition, and I continue my quest by promoting overall healthy living by adopting a plant-based diet. And more and more, non-vegans are starting to realize the health benefits of a vegan diet, and I'm very happy to see folks coming around, and I feel that it's an issue that many people can relate to, because who doesn't want to be healthy? Who wants to succumb to a disease or live a life full of pharmaceuticals? I'm not saying that everyone gets it. No way. I mean, that might never happen, but there is a shift, and that's why I'm happy to continue spreading the word and being a resource for this movement. Now, the animal rights side of it is very controversial and one that I normally don't cover on the show. Seeing as how I'm the healthy voyager, I try to stick to health topics. I want to be a positive resource of tips, suggestions, and information on how to lead a healthier, greener life as opposed to a wave-making persona because there are plenty of people doing that, so I kind of feel like my side is a different side. But the animal rights side of veganism is one that you just can't ignore, if even for the eco aspects of it, and that is very much in line with healthy living. So it kind of goes hand in hand. So whether you like or dislike PETA or want to keep wearing or using animal products because you don't know or don't care about the suffering of animals, fine. But here is how the consumption of animals actually affects you and the world around us. Even if you're not worried about your personal health um, or your fashion or your meals um, or species aside from humans, these might be just a few reasons to think about going veg or at least cutting down on your cons- on your consumption. Um, All right, here we go. So eating animals causes global warming. Hands down, a major report of the University of Chicago in 2006 found that adopting a vegan diet has a greater impact in the fight against global warming than switching to a hybrid car does. Eating one pound of meat emits the same amount of greenhouse gases as driving an SUV for 40 miles, if you can believe that. Because of the insane amount of methane produced by livestock and factory farmed animals, we're killing the ozone. Methane hangs kind of hangs out in the atmosphere a lot longer than car exhaust does. And on a daily basis all over the world where there are is factory farming, we're contributing to it by mass producing animals for food for our own consumption. So uh, that alone is is crazy talk. Uh, It takes up to 16 pounds of grain to produce just one pound of animal flesh. It's shockingly inefficient to feed plant foods to farmed animals and consume their flesh rather than eating the plant foods ourselves. In fact, cows shouldn't even be eating grain. Um, It creates tumors and disease because they're supposed to be eating grass. So not only is it inefficient and and wasteful, it's making livestock sick, which in turn makes us sick upon consumption. So it's a waste of grain that we could be feeding ourselves and hungry nations that uh, could definitely use that grain more so than um, factory farmed livestock and and other animals. Uh, In the U.S., every second Chicken, turkeys, pigs, and cows in factory farms produce nearly 89,000 pounds of excrement, which is contaminated with antibiotics and hormones and all kinds of other chemicals that are pumped into the animals. According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the runoff from factory farms pollutes our waterways 
more than all other industrial sources combined. There is scientific proof that residents that live nearby factory farms and animal product facilities have higher instances of disease brought on by polluted water and bad air quality due to the animal sewage and uh, toxic waste matter. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen many reports of, of people getting sick and dying just from being near the area because uh, it's contaminated their, their stuff. Uh, industrial agriculture consumes and wastes a tremendous amount of resources. In the U.S., 70% of all grains, 80% of all ag agricultural land, half of all water resources, and one-third of all fossil fuels are all used to raise animals for food. We're killing vast amounts of trees and plants that should remain to create clean air and to combat our polluted skies. So we're wasting a lot of area and our own resources just to uh, feed animals to eat them. So there's much more efficient ways to, to do that and nourish ourselves. Eating animals destroys the rainforest, which I just mentioned. Most environmentalists are aware that the Amazon has been slashed and burned in order to create grazing space for cows. But perhaps an even greater threat is the destruction of rainforests in order to create land where feed is grown for factory farmed animals in wealthy nations. A recent report by Greenpeace blamed the chicken flesh industry, particularly KFC, for leading the way in destroying the Amazon. So... Whether you think there's global warming or not, we're all going to need resources, water, food, land, and we're wasting it on factory farming. So whether you care about your health or you care about global warming or any of these things, somehow, some way, the factory farmed animal situation is affecting you and it's going to affect your children and future generations. So out of all the reasons, great reasons to become um, vegan, there's got to be one in there that resonates with somebody. So it's really hard to disconnect environmentalism with veganism after hearing those points. So even though I know that veganism isn't for everyone, a majority of people will still consume animal products because they believe it's healthy for them. Um, and if you're an environmentalist trying to live a greener life, and if you haven't flirted with the idea of going vegan, maybe you might want to start to consider it. But my guests today are here to chat about the voiceless animals and how they contribute every day to fight for their lives. Two wonderful gals who've dedicated their lives to the plight of the animals, a side that does need to be discussed and promoted. Again, leading a veggie lifestyle is beneficial for the animals uh, as well as your health and the earth. So hopefully one out of three uh, of these points will begin to resonate with people more and more, if not all three. And I think there's even more than three reasons, big, big, big reasons. It's just good for everyone and everything and, uh, and creates more positive energy throughout the world to, uh, to be doing so. All right, so stay tuned as I'll be chatting with animal rights attorney and fabulous filmmaker Shannon Keith. Humpty Dumpty got stoned on a wall, lost his balance and had a great fall. All of his doctors and all his sad friends couldn't fit Humpty together again. Do you know what your kids know about drugs? Need help? Get help. Visit our website at drugfree.org. A message from the Partnership for a Drug-Free America.
Welcome back to Healthy Voyager Radio. My first guest is a powerhouse in the animal rights movement with two films under her belt that expose the horrors of the fur industry and showcasing the world of animal liberators. This animal rights lawyer isn't stopping anytime soon. With me now is my buddy in rock and roll, Miss Shannon Keith. Hello. Hello, fellow rocker. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, you've got uh, Skin Trade just coming out, and I'm so excited that uh, we got you right on time as the movie's breaking loose. Exactly, yeah. It just got released, and news is spreading fast, and screenings all over the, all over the world, actually, not just here. So, and, and the media reviews have been great, so we're excited. That is awesome. I'm very happy for you. Yeah. All right, so aside from the fact that you love 80s glam rock, you love animals. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> When did you decide you would become an animal rights attorney? What was that moment that you thought, I'm going to do this? Well, it's funny because it kind of coincides with me being a rocker. I was in college (laughs) (laughs) and I was in a band and I was, you know, lead singer and I was going to make it as a rock star. And that was my whole thing. And um, it came time to declare a major. And um, I knew like my backup would be something where I wanted to help animals. I just didn't know what because, of course, I sucked in biology and math, so I couldn't be a veterinarian. And I started researching, and that's when I first learned that animals were considered property in the law. And I had no idea that animals are just, you know, as worthless in the law as, like, your desk, you know, or a piece of paper. I mean, that's really what they're worth. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to make it my life school to change this law. So that's when I decided I'm going to be an animal rights attorney. I didn't even know that that concept even existed, that there was even, you know, an attorney that did that, but I was going to make it up if it didn't exist. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And were you vegan at the time? And if you weren't, when did you decide to go vegan? Actually, I wasn't vegan. I had just gone vegetarian. Um, And, you know, like so many people, I just didn't make the bigger connection yet. I was, it was a very slow process for me. Um, I was vegetarian for like eight years and I didn't go vegan until actually I graduated from law school. And during law school, I kind of knew like I needed to go vegan and that was, it was important that I do that. I just kind of didn't know how. I didn't have any friends that were vegan. I didn't know anyone in the animal rights community at the time. I was kind of in my shell, you know, just trying to get through law school and finish Um, and as soon as I got out, I met all these great vegans and great activists and they were like, oh, it's so easy. Here's what you do. And then I just did it. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. So what sorts of cases have you worked on in your career? And is there one that you're most proud of? Yeah. Oh man. I've worked on, um, cases, everything ranging from administrative to civil to criminal, meaning, you know, a lot of my cases involve defending dogs that are on death row. Um, I also defend animal rights activists, you know, who are arrested and some, you know, falsely accused of being terrorists, you know, under the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act um, Mm -hmm. and very serious things like that. Um, There's a couple cases, I would say, that really rank high up there with what I've done. Um, One of them had to do with uh, a dog who um, was beaten to death by an L.A. City animal control officer. Um, yeah, it was a horrible, horrible case, uh, just egregious. And, um, we settled the case. I'm not allowed to say how much we settled for. It was a secret settlement, but what was great about it was it was the highest settlement ever, uh, for the killing of a companion animal, 
which meant that it also recognized that the people who lived with this beautiful dog had an emotional connection to the dog. Now, that sounds silly to us, like, well, of course they did, you know, but the mm-hmm. law doesn't really recognize that. So this settlement was monumental in that it said, um, you know, these people had a special connection with their dog, and we're going to compensate you for that. So basically my clients got paid for the emotional loss that they suffered, which was huge. You know, that's one step yeah. towards changing the law. Yeah. Um, and then I would say my other one um, was uh, a civil case where I was defending uh, Shaq, um, the Shaq, you know, I'm sure people have heard of the Shaq case, Stop Hunting and Animal Cruelty, the Shaq 7, and, mm-hmm. um, and Kevin Jonas, and he's one of the people, that he's the last person um, still in prison in the Shaq 7 case. Uh, wow. I was representing them, and uh, they were being sued by Hunting and Life Sciences, um, and an individual that worked for them. And um, we prevailed on an anti-slap, meaning we we're saying that they were trying to halt my client's freedom of speech. And that was the purpose of the lawsuit. And, um, and we prevailed on that. So, and that went to the Court of Appeal. So that's good law. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm really proud of that, too. It was a great freedom of speech case. That is awesome. You're Thank badass. You. <laughs> <laughs> I try. <laughs> and so why and how did you decide to take on directing since you've been doing so well in the law world and, and producing your first film, Behind the Mask? Tell us a little bit about that and, and the film itself. Well, you know, I've always supported direct action. I've always supported anything that is going to help the animals and, and not hurt anybody. Um, and, I, you know, it was at the time around 2005-ish that, you know, the media was really going crazy with um, animal rights activists being called domestic, domestic terrorists. And um, it was really pissing me off. And my cases were pissing me off because the judges didn't care about the animals. And I remembered back to a time when I was in law school and I was giving a speech about animal cruelty. And nobody in my class believed me that animals are still used in vivisection for ridiculous things like cosmetics. Um, and then the next day I came to school after that, and one of the students in the class, who was one of the most vocal, um, came up to me and said, I'm so sorry, I was watching TV last night, and I saw this movie called Lethal Medicine um, about vivisection, and I couldn't believe that you told the truth yesterday, that animals really are treated that way. And I thought, oh my gosh, he had to actually see it on TV to believe it. He didn't believe me when mm. I you know, was citing references. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it reminded me of that, and I thought, you know, the best way to actually, um, you know, really um, insert this idea into social consciousness is to make a movie about it. And that that's really what initially inspired me to make Behind the Mask. That's excellent. And you're you're so right. A lot of – you can just talk your face off, you know, to everybody, and people will be like, meh, yeah. you know, until they just finally see it or research it themselves, which – more likely than not, they're not going to research it themselves. But, but yeah, I think you're right on about that for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, I know that, that that's the way to get to people. So that's sort of, you know, that's kind of where, you know, I turned and said, all right, I'm going to focus a lot more of my attention on this. Um, right. So, yeah, it's a great way to, to do outreach. So you started ARMY. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that nonprofit organization? Yeah, um, ARMY was started officially as a nonprofit in 2004. 
Um, but before that, I was um, always rescuing animals, getting animals off death row at the pound, um, rehabilitating them and, and finding new homes for them. And I'm sure you know, many of your listeners know and some don't that it's extremely costly to do this because the unadoptable uh, dogs and cats at the pound um, usually have health issues. Sometimes they have behavioral issues because they've just been through you know, horrible circumstances. So you have to go through rehabilitation training. You have to get medical care. And I thought, wow, I need to start making some money to help me with this. Um, and this is for, you know, a common good. So I formed ARMY initially as a rescue organization. Uh, but a year later, when I decided to make Behind the Mask, I sort of combined the efforts and, um, and formed Animal Rescue Media and Education as a way to save animals and make great outreach videos uh, to expose animal cruelty. And ARMY stands for... Animal Rescue, Media, and Education. And the website is armearmy.tv. Very cool. And so to this day, it's still going strong and all that stuff, yes? Oh, yeah. Army is is going strong. I mean, you know, getting the name out there is important, and I really encourage people to check it out and see what we do because what we do is really unique. Um, You know, not only do we save animals directly, but we make these films. And, uh, you know, like we were just saying, the films are the best way to reach people. Um, and um, uh, on top of that, we also do things like a shelter drive, you know, where we collect blankets and toys and treats and give them to the animals in various pounds just to give them a little comfort um, and that type of thing and really try to spread the word about spaying and neutering. Very cool. Very, very cool. Thank you. So take us through the process of, putting together and creating your films now that you have two under your belt and I'm sure more on the way. Definitely more on the way. And I'm really excited about those too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the process. Wow. It usually just starts with, with a concept and inspiration. Um, You know, like I said, with behind the mask, it was okay. I can reach people this way and I'm fed up with the media's lies that animal rights activists are terrorists. And um, that sort of, initially shaped the film. Um, but I think with documentaries, it's a little different, you know, than feature, you know, fictional films because um, everything kind of happens organically. So basically I have an outline, and then as I start production, you know, things kind of fall into place and things get moved around and changed. Like after I started production on Behind the Mask, um, I was privy to discovery on the Shack 7 case. And I learned that I had been a target of um, FBI investigation for years. They had been following me for years, going through my trash for years, following my mother, tapping my phone wow. lines. Yeah. And that, you know, infuriated me even more. Like, how could they do this? I mean, they listened in on conversations between myself and my client. That's attorney-client privilege information. That's illegal. Um, so, um, so those things kind of happened as I was making the films. I was able to insert those things into the film as well to make it a more comprehensive documentary. Um, so that's the fun part. The fun part is coming up with the idea, going out, producing, filming it, meeting people, traveling, all that stuff. Uh, the hard part is raising the money to do all of that. And I don't think people really realize how much it costs to make a good documentary. And, you know, I'm operating on people doing favors because we're a nonprofit. People are willing to do that. And it still costs at least $100,000 to make a decent documentary. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's, you know, really the process is really trying to, ra- you know, raise the money, which is why it takes a while to sometimes make one. 
um, and then uh, and then go in and you're done. You're one day you just have to say, okay, I'm stop stopping filming. It's done. Even though <laughs> you could probably film for years, <laughs> and uh, and then go in and start editing. Uh, just cutting it out, cutting out all the fat, and putting music to it, and um, just making it a kick-ass movie for the animals. The best you can do. Yeah, you're right. I'm sure just in watching Skin Trade, you could have made like ten movies. Totally. With all the information you get. Yeah, it's got to be really hard to say, okay, this is the best of the best info, and this is what's staying. Exactly. It is so hard, especially when you have, like, such heart-wrenching footage. It's like, well, which animal do I choose? Because I feel like for each and every scene I put in there of an individual animal suffering, I'm speaking for that animal, you know, and it's hard to pick and choose. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough at the in the editing room too, watching it over and over again. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> so, did Uncaged Films begin with Behind the Mask, and will Uncaged Films be producing other films outside of Shannon Keith's masterpieces? Oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, yeah, Uncaged Films started with Behind the Mask, and um. You know, I don't really know what direction Uncaged Films is going to go in, but, you know, it is my production company, and um, it probably will for now just focus on the films that myself and ARMY, my nonprofit, are going to be doing. Um, But we are in talks with other people. Of course, everything is going to be an animal rights documentary, you know, getting their word out there. Um, And uh, we got some, you know, cool projects coming up. So I'm not sure exactly. It's kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, wherever the universe takes us. I mean, it, it... Everything seems to have been happening really, really well. It just, you know, in terms of, of getting everything out there and, and the response and, and just the impact, you know, for the animals has been awesome. So I'm kind of trusting that it's going to go the right way. Yeah, well, it sounds like it from the response from Skin Trade and your uh, numerous awards from it just having come out. Yeah, it's so crazy. You know, I, I mean, I, I've got to say I was a little a little apprehensive and concerned because skin trade is more graphic than behind the mask. Um, but it's also more of a mainstream issue because it's a fur issue that I think, you know, most people get. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, we just released it, just started during the festival circuit and we've already won four awards. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And these are mainstream festivals. They're not animal rights festivals by any stretch. And, um, and we've gotten great reviews from mainstream magazines uh, movie magazines and LA Times did a great review. It's it's been really it's it to me that just means okay this needs to get out there. People need to understand and need to see it and need to stop wearing fur, stop designing with fur, and just end this ridiculous fur trade. Yeah, totally. So how and when did you start Skin Trade? And tell us a little bit about the the film itself. I started Skin Trade um, a little over three years ago. And um, I was thinking about my second film, and I didn't know um, what to focus on. There's so many issues. I mean, animal cruelty is prevalent everywhere. (laughs) Just turn on the TV. I mean, every commercial practically has some element of animal cruelty in it. And um, I wasn't sure what to focus on. And I think it was around the time of Fashion Week, and I was watching something on the Internet, and and I just saw fur all over the place again, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, you know, this is probably our most winnable issue. It's the most ridiculous issue out there for mm. vanity. Um, 
So I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to focus on just the fur issue and really drive it home. And the purpose is really for me to um, get to designers uh, and editors of fashion magazines because they're the ones promoting this. They're the ones deciding what is fashionable and what's not. They're the ones creating this ridiculous demand. Mm. Um, so that's kind of that was my thought process in, in starting Skin Trade. And so the film itself is, and then I've seen it obviously, so I don't want to spoil it for anyone who has not seen it, but will see it. Um, it runs the gamut of the history of fur, which I thought was great, right? And then all the way to where it is now and, and how it's kind of evolved over time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I, I wanted to make a comprehensive fur documentary. So, so, yeah, we start with the history of fur and how fur began and how it began as being something fashionable, which I think people are going to find really interesting when they see the film. At least, you know, I did. I didn't even know that. You know, that's something I learned mm-hmm. when I was making the movie. Um, and uh, so we, we discuss that. We discuss a lot of the myths um, that the fur industry perpetrates, such as, you know, the fact that they help Native American nations, that this is, you know, something that they, um, you know, they work with them, and um, that's exposed as a lie, as people will see, um, as well as, you know, the lies uh, by the retailers that he, there's such a thing as humane fur, that animals are killed humanely, just euthanized, which... Um, again, we show is absolutely a falsehood and not true. Uh, we talk about the environmental impact of factory farms, the environmental impact of, of the fur farming industry and how uh, the pollutants, you know, spoil the water and the soil and kill not only animals but human beings, cause cancer in children, end up killing them. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about faux fur and the fallacies of faux fur, which I won't tell. People need to go see it and find out <laughs> something very shocking about faux fur um, and how we, can, how we can actually fight this fur trade. Um, I think that we end with you know, um, some good ideas on, on how to change things and make a difference, um, and we have a compelling end that you know, really speaks to people on behalf of, of this one dog. So um, I really encourage people to see it. Like you were saying, I don't want to spoil it either. I think it's important for everyone to see, even if you're anti-fur already, those people who have seen it who were already anti-fur were like, wow, I learned so much. Or, you know, I, I thought I knew everything, but I didn't. I'm re-inspired. I'm reinvigorated. I, I want to do more. Um, so it, it's important for people to see. And what I think, too, is even if it's a, a regular Joe going to see this movie who already knows what they think about fur, it just solidifies and starts the domino effect. I think of, oh, well, if I do this for fur, what else are they doing for other things? You know, so I think it definitely starts to even just plant the seed, which I think is great. You're totally 100% right. And it's already started doing that with the limited showings that we've had and just the people that have contacted me personally, people have already gotten gotten rid of all their leather goods which, you know, we don't really talk about in the film, but it's a little bit implied. So people mm-hmm. made that connection. And then someone else who came to the L.A. premiere came up to me and said, you know, I'm going vegetarian. You know, so it had that great effect right. as well. Yeah, you're right. It's just it's a trickle effect. Yeah, it's just undeniable mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So what's next in line for Uncaged Films and Miss Shannon Keith? <laughs> um, well... There are three projects in the works now. 
um, and one of them is highly top secret. <laughs> but uh, I be- uh, people are going to be blown away. It's going to be awesome. Um, I'm doing a, a documentary um, where I'm focusing on um, three or four different um, primates, and, and I'm going to tell their story and about this one facility and uh, these primates came from horrible circumstances, from circuses, from vivisection, you know, uh, various things like that. And um, we go through their stories, and I, I think that people are going to love the film. It's a way to connect with a different species and also learn the different facets of, of the animal exploiting industries that they came from and, um, and these great organizations that are doing things to help them and save them and let them live out their lives in a wonderful environment. So... Um, that's one of them without giving away too much. And then the other one um, is uh, is going to be a documentary about um, I don't really want to say, but it's about the it's about the pound mm-hmm. basically. It's about the mm-hmm. the animal quote unquote shelters shelter mm-hmm. system. So um, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> but that's so lots be of goodies, lot. lots of goodies coming soon. Mhm. Yes. Very. You working in all three at once? I am. I'm being very. Yeah, I'm insane. I'm just certifiable, yeah. So we need to raise money to help us with this. So if you're listening and you want to help us get these you know, films done and done well, please donate. It's a tax write-off. And where might they be able to do such a thing? They can go to army.tv, A-R-M-E.tv, and there's a donations link. And um, you can just make a donation through the website, or you can write a check to us. And our um, information is all on the website, army.tv. Um, everything's a tax write-off for a nonprofit. And um, all of our donations right now are going right into making these, um, these three feature documentaries that are going to really speak for, the, for these animals that need to you know, have a voice. Wonderful. And now where else can we find out about um, upcoming screenings? I know you said skin trade is showing all over the world, which is so cool. Yeah. Um, where can we find out about screenings, buy DVDs of Behind the Mask, upcoming stuff, information about you? Where can we find that at? Um, you can go to uncagedfilms.com. That's U-N-C-A-G-E-D-F-I-L-M-S, uncagedfilms.com. And um, that really, uh, it's got Behind the Mask on there and things that you can do on there. If you can purchase Behind the Mask, which is a story of the ALF on uncagedfilms.com. And um, the other website is skintradethemovie.com, and that's where you can get a copy of Skin Trade. And if you click on screenings, uh, you can just follow us, and it lists all of our upcoming screenings for Skin Trade. And last but not least, like I mentioned before, you can go to army.tv, which is the, doc- the nonprofit that funds all of this. Very cool. So uncagefilms.com and army.tv. Mm-hmm. All righty, Ms. Shannon. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know you're a busy gal screening your films and, and making three more and fighting <laughs> for the animals. So I'm glad you were able to squeeze us in. Of course. Thank you for everything you're doing. You're an amazing, funny, hilarious, gorgeous, sexy woman. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Anytime. Stay with us because after the break, I welcome producer and activist Libra Max. Hi, this is Joe Elliott from Def Leppard for Rad. Planning on going out and having a party? Great. Have a lot of fun. But do me a big favor and don't blow it. Always choose a designated driver. Remember, music lives. You should too. (laughs) 
a public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Thanks for coming back to Healthy Voyager Radio. My next guest is an animal activist as well as the executive producer of the powerful film Earthlings. I'm delighted to have her on the show with me now, Miss Libra Max. Hello, Libra. Hi, Carolyn. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on the show. So from what I understand, you've pretty much been a vegetarian your whole life, if not vegan. What was that like, and how did it shape your career as an activist today? That is not entirely true. I think that was written someplace in a bio somewhere about (laughs) me. Um, When I was growing up in the mid-'70s, my mother and – well, both my parents were very involved with Swami Satchitananda and and yoga – before yoga became became westernized. And back then, um, it was really a requirement if you wanted to study to be a yogi or in your yogic practice to, to have a vegetarian diet or at least strive towards a vegetarian diet. So my family was vegetarian for a brief period of time. And then, you know, later on, we all became, you know, we went back to our meeting, eating ways and I probably had a bacon cheeseburger every day of my life after that. But I will say that the seeds were planted from that period of my life. Um, I guess I didn't really know why or I didn't think too much about it as a kid. But the connection between spirituality, nonviolence, diet, um, you know, that was, that was something that was part of my early childhood. So it wasn't until years later when I became vegan, which was about 13 years ago, that I really understood that. And um, now uh, yoga is very much in our society. And unfortunately, one of the first root precepts of yoga um, is, you know, a vegetarian diet, but that's unfortunately been left out since, uh, since it's become westernized. And, um, but anyway, right. that sort of set the groundwork, and I think I didn't really understand how powerful that was until I became a vegan, until I became an activist, and I really understood the meaning behind it. So but I, it's I have wonderful not... that, it, that it came back to you. Yeah, well, it came back to me, and, and it came back to me profoundly and powerfully in, in a really deep understanding of the reason, the reason why it's important to lead a vegetarian um, or vegan diet, um, you know, as part of a spiritual practice because it's really the most basic way of being nonviolent three times a day. You know, most of us um, believe in nonviolence and especially those of us on, a, on any sort of spiritual path or just a path of being a good person or just a path of, you know, living consciously in the world, we want to be nonviolent and that's the one area that is really a blind spot and it had been a blind spot for me even even in my early days as an activist and I was still eating eating meat and I I really didn't I didn't look at it I didn't see it I didn't even it just didn't come into my consciousness until later and then I I really had an aha moment very very profound sort of epiphany and awakening and I thought oh I get it I get it now but I think in our culture, we are, you know, we don't look at it. We don't look at the violence that we're not directly in front of. So the violence that goes on to get the food to our plate, we don't, we don't see. Right, exactly. Well, it's so masked 
you know, because we call it beef, not cow, you know, so it's, there's such a disconnect that we really aren't at fault growing up around it because it's just the way things are until, yeah, you and I both and and most people in our community remember that moment where you're like, oh, yes, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really, really intense moment for me, actually, and it's, it's, well, I don't know if it's funny, but it's it's really interesting looking back on it because I had already been involved with PETA back in the day. That was the group that I sort of started with. And I was very much against fur and I was very much, much against animal testing and I had already been to Washington and I had done marches against product testing on animals and, you know, I would, I would really like – I just had all of this um, – you know, really a deep care for animals and and about being compassionate, but it didn't even enter my brain about the food I was eating. And um, I went away for like a spiritual retreat weekend. And actually I was going there thinking I was going about career. At the time I was a singer-songwriter in New York. So I was thinking I'm going to go and I'm going to really get clear on my career and blah, blah, blah. And what happened throughout the weekend, something just, literally confronted me. I don't know what it was. I was just confronted with myself and I thought, oh my God, I, I'm a hypocrite. And I mean, that's how I saw it. And I, it just touched me so deeply and I really got it. And I really, um, now I understand how we can be in denial or we just don't want to look at things, even when we have the very best intentions. And, um, it was a really profound moment. And that's when I became, Vegan. I wouldn't say that I went 100% vegan at that moment, but that was the beginning of my vegan path. Excellent. Yeah, and and it's it's wonderful when you feel that, and it's it just feels like oh my gosh, how come I didn't get it before? It's so clear at that moment, and it's funny to then be on this side of of the of the message and seeing other people who say, oh well, I love animals, and I would never heard of an animal, and or they're an environmentalist, and and to be like, no, but you don't get it, you know, but I think it does take everyone their own special moment to finally figure it out. Definitely. And it's, you know, having that experience, my own experience, it's really helped me be compassionate when people um, haven't gotten it yet. Cause I was there. I was, I was that person. I mean, I was, I considered myself an animal rights activist and I was still, you know, eating full on animal meals, almost every meal. So it sounds very crazy to me now, but I, I really understand how that's possible because right. we're not raised to, to acknowledge that those are animals on our plates and we don't see the footage and we don't see inside slaughterhouses and what goes on. So tell us, I know you said early on you worked with PETA, uh, tell us about some of the organizations you've worked with and some of the projects you've been involved with. Well, I started with PETA. Um, years ago, and that was really my first entree, I guess, into animal rights. And they really put animal rights on the map. Um, and they were probably the biggest group back back then. Um, the way that that happened for me, I always had like a really a, a special feeling for animals, and I was always picking up stray animals and bringing them home as a kid in New York City. Um, and I happened to be turning through the channels on Manha- Manhattan Cable TV, and I happened upon some really awful footage. It was mil- military footage of a pig. I don't want to get too gruesome, but a pig being blowtorched without um, anesthetic just to, to test burn cream. And I, I went into shock, and I just I, I couldn't 
speak about it for two weeks, and I just thought I have to do something. And so somehow I found my way to PETA, and I first became involved with PETA. And over the years, I've worked with many groups. I've worked with Farm Sanctuary, who is an incredible, they're an incredible group. Um, They really advocate for farm animals specifically, and they work on a lot of legislation about the way farm animals are treated, and um, they advocate for veganism and vegan education. And I love Mercy for Animals, mercyforanimals.org. They just did a really powerful and disturbing, um, they just got some undercover footage about what goes on at dairies. Um, People think that milk is just, you know, happy cow Mm -hmm. who wants to give her milk to us, but it's really not the case. And um, I went undercover a couple years ago for a local humane organization here in Los Angeles. And um, I, I really thought I had seen it all. I, I, I've seen a lot of footage. I am a very sensitive person, so it's not that I've become hardened or anything. I just um, I, I recognize that I can watch the footage and then I get to turn it off and then I get to go take a bath or go out to dinner or just live my life and the animals don't get to. So I, I choose to just kind of grin and bear it and, and watch the footage so I can really know what's going on. But I went undercover. Um, and I wore a hidden camera to get some uh, footage for a local humane organization, and I, I visited many uh, organic and family-run small local farms right on the outskirts of Los Angeles, and it really opened my eyes to the truth about, quote, humane farming or, quote, free-range practices. Um, and, you know, I think that the public is really led into a false sense of, oh, well, at least I'm eating free range, or at least I'm eating humanely raised animals. And the cruelty that I witnessed seriously put me in a depression um, off and on for about a year. I went undercover for about, I don't know, it was over the course of several months. And I just was blown away. I was blown away. These were not, quote, factory farms. These were family-run small farms. Um, that claimed that they really love their animals and the animals are treated humanely. And what I witnessed was the furthest from that. And it was really heartbreaking. So I, I think people really know, need to know that that's just a marketing ploy. The, the humane farming movement and free range mm-hmm. labeling is really just a marketing ploy to make people feel better about the products that they're eating. But mm-hmm. the animals are still slaughtered at the end of the day. And that's just not... There's just there's no such thing as a nonviolent slaughterhouse. I always like to say, so that really that was a that was a big deal in my life and uh, brought my activism to an even deeper level. And so I just try to help out where I can, and I just do what needs to be done as it presents itself to me. So tell me about your involvement with the ACLU and progressive politics. I recently did, I I gave a little talk about uh, what it means to be an animal rights activist because there's something that I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of. It's called the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, Mm -hmm. um, also known as ADA for short. And what that is is, you know, all of of our um, groups, including the KKK and the American Nazi Party and any sort of fringe movement, um, you know, whatever it may be, as long as, as there's no uh, actual violence, 
we are supposedly protected under the First Amendment in this country, and um, our free speech is supposedly protected. But the government has enacted ADA, the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, and what that does is it unfairly uh, penalizes animal activists from speaking freely. And the only reason we are unfairly, we are, we are being targeted is because as a movement, we've grown so vast and so powerfully and so um, quickly because people are seeing what goes on behind the walls of slaughterhouses and behind the walls of our product testing laboratories and our biomedical research laboratories, and people are really horrified. So we have really affected the bottom line of many companies and because the pharmaceutical lobby and the meat lobby and the dairy lobby is so powerful, they were able to get the government to uh, create something called the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, which basically means that if you speak as an animal uh, activist and if you speak against any business that is an, quote, animal enterprise that makes money off of animals, whether it's a store that sells puppies, um, a pet store that sells puppies, or whether it's a biomedical research facility, you can actually be arrested as a domestic terrorist. So it's quite horrifying that this is going on, and it's because, you know, we live in a corporatocracy. We're not really a democracy anymore. We, you know, our, our corporations really run this country. So I just gave a talk recently um, to a group that was, it was put on by the National Lawyers Guild and uh, the ACLU, just about what it means to be an animal rights activist. I think that we've been painted as these, crazy, militant, violent people who smash windows and throw red paint on people and who scream and who are all, you know, crazy. And it couldn't be further from the truth. We're really a movement that's based on love, and we're a movement that's based on compassion. We're a movement that is filled with, that is made up of, you know, scientists and doctors and lawyers and thinkers and philosophers and educated people who have witnessed injustice, and um, we're not terrorists. We don't wear black masks and carry crowbars. So I just wanted to put a face on, you know, what it means to be who, who an animal activist is. And I, I'm, I'm an activist, and I'm probably a fairly typical activist. I feel very passionately, but I live my life nonviolently, and that's really important. It's not just nonviolently towards animals. It's nonviolently towards all beings on the planet. And um, so anyway, I want, we wanted to bring um, the ACLU and, and the political, the, you know, we, just bringing the, this evening that I spoke at was just, it was bringing the political left um, just some information about what's going on because our First Amendment is, uh, is pretty damn important and um, we're being unfairly targeted and, uh, for sure. So that was what yeah, it's about. And 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 you're 100% right because the movement takes away from the economy. That's exactly why they've chosen to target, you know, the the group and they still allow under the first amendment things that are horrible to to just keep going on. Like you said the neo Nazi party and I've heard, you know anti-abortion groups like all that stuff. I mean, that's completely allowed and not considered uh not considered a threat to the country, but unfortunately people trying to save animals are. 
It's insane. I mean, yeah, the anti-choice movement, the KKK, the American Nazi Party, um, I mean, there's just so many groups that are very, very, you know, I mean, that a lot of people would consider quite radical, that they're completely protected. And um, even if you're a grandmother and you're standing outside of a store that sells puppies and you're holding a picket sign, you could actually be arrested as a terrorist. And it sounds far-fetched, but we actually, we've got some friends who've been arrested, you know, and it's, it's really going on because uh, we're affecting the bottom line. Yeah. Other groups are not. Yeah, that's just nutty. Now, I know that uh, you were mentioning before about being kind to all beings. Is that kind of what led you to, to be involved as the executive producer and music supervisor for Earthlings? Yeah, I um, I met Sean Monson, who is the director of Earthlings, about six years ago. I had just moved to Los Angeles, and I met him through some friends, and we just really connected, and really, I really resonated. Felt, you know, we just, we just got along very well, and he was in the in the beginning stages of Earthlings. Um, so I, it was just a really powerful project and I wanted to get involved. And, uh, so we started working together. He had been wanting to have Moby do the soundtrack and it just so happened that Moby was a friend and he graciously donated 17 tracks for the soundtrack. So it was really beautiful how everything just came together. And then Joaquin Phoenix narrated the film and, um, you know, both Moby and Joaquin are, are vegan and, it was great, and, and at the time, Earthlings was really, you know, nothing, and a lot of people thought, oh, no one's going to watch this because it's just uh, maybe a little difficult to watch, but it's really taken off, and it's now been translated into, I, I don't even know, countless languages all over the world, and it's got a huge, huge cult following, not even a cult following, it's got a huge following, and it's changed so many lives, and if there's anything that I could recommend people watch and and it really is not because I was involved with the film it's just it's the the power of the project i would say go to earthlings.com and you can actually watch the full feature for free online now you don't have to buy it um it's always good to buy if you want to support the cause but or support you know Sean making more films but um you can watch it online right now and it's really powerful and it's life changing well i didn't know that you could watch the full feature online that's mm-hmm. Excellent. Yep. And it's, also, I agree. it's on iTunes now as well. You can download it uh, from iTunes, I think, just as about uh, from about a week ago. So that's pretty exciting as well. That is super exciting. I remember speaking to Sean about what a pain it was to try and get it on iTunes, and I'm, I'm so glad that it got pushed through. Yeah, the world is changing. I just, you know, even from five or six years ago, the world is really changing, and the things that I'm seeing on, you know, network TV and – um, you know, even Oprah doing a show on what goes on behind, you know, uh, the walls of the, of our food, fa- you know, where our food comes from. I mean, the world's really changing, and I think the information's really getting out there. It's pre- it's an exciting time. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely shifted quite a bit, even since I've been vegan, which has been 11 years. And I I think in the last five years, and even even less, it's just now everywhere. It's so prevalent. Yep, it really is. I mean, I remember. Six or seven years ago, people didn't even know what the word vegan meant. And yeah. it's kind of like I just drive through L.A. and I see vegan this, vegan that, signs everywhere and throughout the country. Um, yeah, it's really, it's become, it's, it's, the world's changing. It's, it's wonderful. So 
uh, with all the groups that you've worked with, there are people that do want to donate their time or money. Which ones do you, do you suggest that they look into um, and why? You know, that's a hard question. There are so many wonderful groups. Um, I would suggest that people really think about what's important to them if they really want to work on the issues of puppy mills, for example, or uh, vegan campaigns, or, um, you know, whatever it is that they want to work on, they should probably Google those issues and find some local groups that they can get involved with and really follow their hearts because groups are just like people. You know, they've got wonderful sides and then they've got sides that you might not agree with everything that they stand for, but the wonderful side is, you know, it, it surpasses that. It's, you know, it's not, it's not so black and white and there's so many wonderful groups and I think that people should just find out what resonates with them because mm -hmm. you want to work on something that you can sustain and you can really feel like you're making a difference and maybe that's working at your, volunteering your time at your local animal shelter or, um, you know, you can look at uh, Farm Sanctuary if you want to work on vegan issues, but there are many other uh, smaller groups that wherever, what, whatever state you live in, you can find groups to work with. So I really like the expression, think globally, act locally. And then also think for yourself. If something doesn't feel right, really follow your gut. Really uh, examine it for yourself because just because they're groups, you know, they don't always have all of the answers. It, it might not be the right space for you. So there are wonderful groups I could talk about. I love Mercy for Animals. I love Farm Sanctuary. Um, you know, if somebody wants to get involved with um, the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act and trying to repeal that, there is, they can go to NOAETA, N-O-A-E-T-A, NoAnimalEnterpriseTerrorismAct.org, and that's the Equal Justice Alliance. And that's, you know, maybe for people who are more um, interested in, in specifically in politics, and that's really important to protect our First Amendment. Um, PETA is a wonderful group. There's so many wonderful groups, and I think I would just sort of check all of them out and see what feels right. I think that that's important because not every group is a fit for every everybody. Right. Yeah, that's great advice. So if you had one thing to say to our listeners about the importance of going vegan, what would it be? For me, I feel that it's, it's our blind spot in our society. It, it just is. And if we want to be good people, if we want to be on a spiritual path, we really owe it to ourselves to examine where our food comes from. And I didn't go vegan overnight. Most people I know didn't go vegan overnight. But just really being honest with ourselves about the violence we cause when we eat and we're animals and really just, you know, sit with that. Um, I went vegan when I sort of, or I started going vegan when I had that spiritual awakening, I guess I'll call it, when I went away for that weekend and I thought, wow, I really need to, you know, I, I need to get real with myself. And that was when I started to, to go vegan and I slowly started cutting out animal products out of my, my diet um, so I did it for the animals, but what was the most incredible thing, and I've heard this from many, many vegans, is what it gave back to me. And I would just tell people that if they choose to start going vegan, even if it's one meal a week, which is a great way to start, 
or one animal product, to remove just one animal product out of their diet at a time. You're not expected to do this overnight. What it will give back to you is so immense. My, my life changed. You know, emotionally, I was different. Spiritually, I was definitely feeling like I was on a, a higher plane than I ever could have gotten to if I continued to eat uh, meat and, and ingesting that violence. Um, physically, I felt better. I found myself having compassion for people around me um, more easily. Just everything in my life changed. I, it, it's just it's so deep and it's so profound, and I wasn't expecting that. I thought I was doing it for the animals, and I had no idea I was actually also doing it for myself. It's, it just brings you the deepest peace, and that's I know that sounds kind of like silly or... or um, quaint but that's it's just the truth it's just you have a, a deep grounded sense of peace in your life that i don't think that i could have had had i still been eating animal products so there's no deprivation i mean there's so many products out there now gardein is wonderful um you know you can usually get veggie burgers at even even fast food places you know there's mm-hmm. just no deprivation anymore it's just it's just wonderful yeah, there definitely is no excuse anymore. When I first became vegan, there was not that much, and I was perfectly fine with it. Now it's it's almost too much, <laughs> too many too many options. So uh, yeah, it's 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 just so wonderful. And you're right, it it does give you something back. In fact, it, it gives you so, a sense of power that you don't have to buy into the crap anymore, so to speak, you know, just getting out of, oddly enough, it's kind of like the matrix, you know, you wake up and you're like, hey, I don't, this isn't real, you know, I can do whatever I want. It's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. taking, yeah, it is the matrix, it, it's taking <laughs> the red pill, we've taken the red pill, we know it's what, what, um, what really goes on, and it's really like, it's thinking for yourself, it's really powerful, it's really exciting, we're thinking for ourselves and saying, no, I don't want to be a part of this violence, and, uh, yeah, it's an incredibly empowering and powerful thing to be. And especially when you're out in the real world and you're not surrounded by vegan friends and you're just, you know, I know at the end of the day, no matter what is going on in my life, if I'm kind of disappointed by people or if I'm having, you know, guy problems or whatever's going on <laughs> in my life, if there's whatever it is that's, that's, that feels hurtful or disappointing, I can hold on to my veganism. And that's, just it's amazing it's just i think it's the thing that i i love most about my life and about myself it's just it feels incredible it's just so life-changing and so powerful i just i want to share it with everyone i want everyone to know what it feels like it's great yeah i agree it it is a wonderful feeling so uh i thank you for all the work that you've been doing and i'm i commend you and i'm uh, looking forward to hearing more about your projects and and activism Thank you. God, this went by so quickly. This was great. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on and being a part of today's show. Thanks, Marilyn. I will see you around. Don't go anywhere because we'll be right back. Destination Imagination is an extraordinary after-school program in creativity and teamwork for every child. In fact, Destination Imagination could be the most important journey your kid makes this year or any year. Parents and teachers, start a Destination Imagination team by calling 888-321-1503 or visit DestinationImagination.org. That's DestinationImagination.org. 
we're back to Healthy Voyager Radio. All right, make sure you visit uncagedfilms.com for screenings and DVDs of Shannon's films. Uh, you can follow Shannon and Uncaged Films on Facebook as well as Twitter. And I know that Libra mentioned that uh, she will sometime soon be getting a website up so that you can check out all her projects and uh, activism goodies. Make sure you join me next week when I welcome Donna Barish of Main Street Bakery, and that's Maine as in horses, Maine, and Joanne Benjamin of RideOn.org. We're going to be chatting about healthy pet food and pet therapy as it pertains to rehabilitating people. Uh, as for me, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, you just look up Healthy Voyager, twitter.com forward slash Healthy Voyager. I'm on Facebook. I got a fan page and my regular page. Uh, I got my YouTube channel. And my new website is uh, running strong. It's healthyvoyager.com. Be sure to join uh, the social networking portion of it and to subscribe to the newsletter because people who subscribe to the newsletter um, not only get all the newest information of what's going up on the site that week, but there are also coupons and all kinds of special offers to subscribers. So make sure you subscribe and also join the social networking part. Uh, check out all the weekly giveaways and recipes and videos and Lots of uh, wonderful uh, bloggers that I've, I've brought on to the site to help you live a happier, healthier, greener life. So check out the new HealthyVoyager.com. All right, I'd like to thank Miss Shannon Keith and Libra Max one more time for all of their great info today. And be sure to check out podcasts of today's show as well as past shows on HealthyVoyager.com as well as iTunes and Zoom where you can subscribe and never miss a show. And before we head out, I'm going to play us out with a song by The Faded a kick-ass rock band made up of vegans and animal lovers. You can hear their music on the Skin, Skin Trade soundtrack, Shannon's film, as well as on their website at thefaded.com. Check out their songs and their tour schedules and all that on their site, as well as on MySpace and uh, YouTube and all that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Have an awesome weekend. I will chat with you again next week. And enjoy Leave Out All the Rest by The Faded. Bye.
so well. 